loving you. Father, we do thank you for today. We thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you for the gift of the church and the community that we have here. We pray that you would continue to increase that, make us more unified um, for the sake of Christ. We pray that we would be um, zealous for the perseverance of each other and that as we would be um, growing in grace, that we would be an encouragement to our brothers and sisters to keep running the race. And as we pick up this doctrine of perseverance of the saints today, we, we're so thankful that you've given us the gift of your spirit because of the redemption of your son and the kind intention of your will. Um, that we can look more like him and that he has broken the power of sin in our lives and that even though we may fall, even though we may stumble, even though we may grievously um, rebel against you, your kindness brings us to repentance and we thank you that that doesn't stop. And so we pray once again for hearts that are pliable to your Holy Spirit, that we yield to the, the callings and the correction of your Spirit, and that we rest in the joy of your salvation in all things. And we thank you for these things in Christ. Amen. All right, we are now looking at the fifth and final point of Calvinism, Perseverance of the Saints. So I like to listen to superhero music when I'm working. It makes everything feel important. You're drafting that contract, you're awesome because it's, you know, Batman going on in the background or whatever. Or, or, you know, drafting that motion against a jerk, you know, attorney or something. It's like, ah. I love doing that. It gets me jazzed. It gets me into the moment. It gets me working like with purpose because otherwise it'd be, why am I doing this with my life? I don't know. <laughs> so I like the music because it focuses me. There's no amount of music, no amount of music that can help me consistently be holy. I fail at that often. I, I, in, there are no externals really that, that, that force me, focus me to do because my heart still has that junk, right? And what does that do? Whenever we sin, whenever we mess up, what does that do to us? What are the things that arise? Just, just generally in your own life. I, I'm sure I'm the only one that sins, right? Apathy. There's an apathy. In what way does that express itself? What does that look like? You don't want to do the things that you know you should do. You don't want to read the Word. You don't want to go to church. You don't want to be nice to people. I don't want to look at Him, right? I don't want to see that gaze on me because I know where I am. I know where my heart is. I don't want to... So there's a, there's a pushback to the things that we're called to do, that we're, that we're called to image Christ. Well, if I've blown it, I don't want to admit that I've blown it. I don't want to run... I, I'm good enough. I've got the superhero music playing. You know, I can do this, God. But when I don't, it becomes all like blues or something. I don't know what kind of music. But it's just one of those... That's the natural effect of that. Do we stay there? I, one of the things that, that I told you at the beginning of this, this whole thing, that when we started on Calvinism, one of the things that brought me to this doctrine was this issue. Um, because I know my heart, and I hate the fact that I fail. I hate it. I hate it. And I don't want to deal with it, right? Um, I am thankful 
that I'm not the superhero of this story. That Christ is, right? That's the doctrine of perseverance because there's really, two, and we'll talk about this in a minute, there's really two sides to this. There's perseverance. We're working to look like Jesus, but there's preservation. He's working in us. That's the thing that, that, that really gripped my heart in studying through this issue and studying through these things. Um, I'm still His. In spite of my sin, my apathy, my bitterness toward others at His church, my anxiety over things to come, I'm still His. I, I never go so far yet, and that's, and that's the thing, right? Yet... That, that, he, that, that I cannot hear his voice to call me back. My sheep hear my voice. That's the doctrine of perseverance of the saints. When he disciplines me, I repent and come to a place of grieving over my sin. And that's not of me. My natural, I say natural, my habitual inclination uh, is, is the apathy thing. Uh, a year's gone down the road, or whatever, and I'm still, whatever, I'm still like David, king, and it doesn't matter, I guess I got away with it, until, until the Holy Spirit looks at me and says, Thou art the man. And then it just crumbles. But it's the crumbling that's a gift. It's painful, I hate it, but I love it. Because it's a gift, right? Um, my heart is still drawn to Christ, fascinated by what Scripture tells us about Him. And here's the thing, I still can't wait to see Him. And it's that position, uh, that drawing still toward who he is, that is a, that is a, a, a comfort to me. Even, even when I know that I've blown it, there's a comfort there of, I still can't wait to see him because of what he's done for me, who he is. Um, I, know, I know myself well enough to know that that doesn't, come from me. So today we're going to talk about the fifth point of Calvinism. Perse uh, per perseverance of the saints. And, I, and I've included the definitions of the other points in your handout. So but for today, our definition of perseverance of the saints is, is fairly simple. What we mean when we say perseverance of the saints from a Reformed perspective is that all of those who are truly united to Christ in saving faith will persevere in faith and holiness to the end. I'm going to read that again. All of those who are truly united to Christ in saving faith will persevere in faith and holiness to the end. Now notice what's going on there. There's the believing and there's the action, right? You're persevering in faith. If you're truly united to Christ through faith, you persevere in faith. What is it? I'm trusting Christ, who He is. Uh, that's, a, that's a continuous thing. We'll talk about that a little bit. And it has real-world action. It has practical implications for what I'm becoming. I'm just not sitting back going, I believe once got dunked in the tank and then lived like hell the rest of the week. I'm actively pursuing who Jesus is. And that looks like, remember our graph many, many moons ago that we did on what sanctification looks like. It's not a straight A to B line. It is a very, it's like a whitewater raft ride, really. It's, it's up and down, up and down, up and down. But the trend is toward him, right? That's what we're seeing. The trend is toward him. So, as we've done every week, I want to remind you again that this did not start with Calvin. Um, so let's look at our, our, uh, our dead guy's quotes. Clement of Rome from AD 69 says, Whereas it is the will of God 
that all whom he loves should partake of repentance and so not perish with the unbelieving and impenitent, he has established it by his almighty will. But if any of those whom God wills should partake of the grace of repentance should afterwards perish, where is his almighty will? What is he saying? Is God powerful or not? If he's purposed people to be saved and they fall away, where's his almighty will? He's not going to let that happen. And how is this matter settled and established by such a will of his? Um, let's look at uh, uh, Clement of Alexandria, AD 190. Such a soul, he's talking about of a Christian, shall never at any time be separated from God. Faith, I say, is something divine which cannot be pulled asunder by any other worldly friendship nor be dissolved by present fear, which is kind of an interesting issue uh, in, in, uh, in the 190s because of the persecutions they were going through. You will persevere even through um, these persecutions. Athanasius in 8350, that phrase, as we are one, referring to John 1792, means nothing else than that the grace of the Spirit which the disciples had might be never failing and irrevocable. And finally, Ambrose in AD 380. Perseverance is neither of man that willeth or runneth, because they all had lists, for it is not in the power of man, but it is of God that showeth mercy that thou canst fulfill what thou hast begun. So not starting with Calvin. Perseverance of the saints was not initiated by Calvin. It's actually in the Bible. We have such clear biblical testimony to this doctrine. It's really not up for debate. But I want to establish a few things first. When we consider the doctrine of perseverance, we need to consider that we are creatures and that He is Creator. Our experience is not the standard of truth God is, right? So if I'm, if I'm sinning and I'm feeling, oh, I'm, it, grace wasn't good enough for me, or I, I, did, there's a, I didn't believe enough, or all these kinds of things, that's an experiential thing. That's not the standard of truth. The standard of truth is, confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved, right? That's the promise, that's the standard, that's the truth we're given. And so even though we may feel from time to time this, am I in the faith? And those are the questions I think all of us wrestle with. The standard of truth is, run to the cross, right? So we want to start there. So a couple of things. One. It's not always possible for us to ever know for certain if another person is truly converted. <clears throat> I can't look at somebody else's heart and say, every time, without fail, I know they're converted. I, I can be a fruit inspector, it said, you know, and I can see, I can see this kind of... What does that do to me? It makes me want to pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ. It makes me want to pray for the people in my church. God, confirm their faith. Give them faith. Help them to repent. When they're fallen, I want to counsel with kindness and gentleness. When they're fallen, come back, come back. We've got to be zealous for each other. Because I don't know where people are. I have a feeling. I hear their profession. I take them based on their profession. But we can't, there's not, I'm not God. I don't know the heart, right? So there is this tension with this doctrine about how we relate to others. 
now had early to myself. It is possible to have reforming and uplifting experiences, <clears throat> such as a retreat in Beaver's Bend, of the power and truth of the gospel without a genuine conversion experience. That's a true thing. You have people that just go up and, um, you know, are, are, are crying at summer camp or whatever and have this thing going on and they leave and it's, you know, there's a week of this fuzzy haze thing going on and then it's like back to real life. I guess I got to be, you know, whatever. You see that and they, and they continue on. Jesus talks about this in the parable of soil, doesn't he? They spring up. They get burnt out by the sun because of the cares of the world. It's possible that that can happen. What does that do? That creates a need in me to examine my own heart to see if I'm in the faith. I, it, it's the warning passages we talked about last week a little bit. The, the, it presses me toward Jesus. It presses me toward the cross. So that's a thing that we've got to go into this with. The other thing, the third thing, um, and, I, and I put some, some verses there. The third thing, when we talk about perseverance of the saints, it's not a mere profession, but a possession of faith in Christ that is certain to endure to the end. The Bible does not teach that everyone who professes faith in Christ and is accepted into the fellowship of the saints enjoys the assurance of salvation. So you've got four types of people, right? People who know that they're saved and they are. People who know that they aren't saved and they're not, right? You, you have those. People who uh, don't know if they're saved, and they are, and the people who don't know they're saved, and they're not. Four, if we can logically tease it out, that's the way that works. Um, just because you've got church membership doesn't mean you're saved. Any more than being dunked in a tank means you're saved. Any more than drinking real wine versus grape juice at communion means that you're saved. It doesn't. Th those aren't the things that save us. It's a possession and an abiding trust and the finished work of Jesus, who he is and what he's done. That's what saves us. There's a difference, number four, there's a difference between eternal security, as it's commonly taught, and the perseverance of the saints. So I want to look at two ditches. There are two ditches on this issue. One is eternal security, as it's commonly taught. Uh, preser uh, preservation is absolutely certain. Once you got it, your get out of hell free card, you got it. But perseverance isn't necessary. You may have heard it said this way. Jesus became my Savior before He became my Lord. You may have heard that one. Anybody? I want to put my head through the wall when I hear people <laughs> say that. If He's not your Lord, He's never been your Savior. Right? If He is not uh, King of your life, He has not been your Savior. So we see this in the carnal Christian doctrine. You may have heard some of those. You have two dogs in your heart. You know, you've got a black dog and a white dog and they fight over and the spirit, you know, the spiritual dog is the white dog and your flesh is the black dog and they fight over the... What? Oh, well, I'm sorry. I grew up charismatic so we had all these kind of weird analogies. But I figured Grant would know it since it had a dog analogy. Um, you, may, you may have heard uh, once saved, always saved. You may have heard it that, that way. Kind of this easy believism kind of thing. The other side, that, so that's a ditch. And we'll, and we'll put the, the carnal Christian doctrine kind of on the left because it just seems like that where, that's where it needs to go. Um, and then you have the kind of the legalist doctrine on the right, which is, um, which is you have eternal security and the other side is eternal insecurity, right? It's the other side. Perseverance is necessary. You got to do it. 
but it's not certain. We don't know if you will. And that's more of a Wesleyan, Arminian kind of thing. They're, you're not guaranteed to persevere. So that's the way we keep you whipped in line is <laughs> to, to threaten you with hell and not trusting, uh, trusting in your works. Didn't he also believe you could, you could attain perfection? Yes, he also was a, he, he believed this kind of second holiness kind of uh, perfectionism thing, which is, a, which is something that's uh, still uh, <clears throat> like a barnacle on a ship still with us today. Um, so the, the, another way to refer to it is maybe conditional preservation. If you're good enough, God will keep you kind of thing. Perseverance and preservation. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I know, I know. Yes, yes. So there's two. There's two sides, and we'll talk about right here. There's two sides of the same coin on when we talk about pers uh, perseverance of the saints. There's two sides. One is um, that God preserves, and the other is we must persevere. Right. So those are the two sides of this. So, this is super fast in my Spurgeon evening devotional last night. Yeah. It says, perseverance is a badge of true saints. And then it goes on and says a bunch of great stuff. And then it says, perseverance is therefore the target of all our spiritual needs. And just like it's yeah, it is, it is the target of... Um, because what, what, is the, what, is, what is Satan trying... It is a good devotional, I'll read it too. Uh, what, is, what is Satan trying to do? He's trying to reassert his dominion over man. He wants to, he's out prowling, you know, uh, Peter says. Well, and those who are Christ, he can't take, but he can make it effective. Yes. Uh, or, or certainly cause them unnecessary fear. Now, there's a right fear. We'll get to that in a minute. I mean, when you're apathetic. You're yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. There's a song by Amy Grant called Fat Little Baby. I'm not sure how spiritually right that is. I think it's more of a carnal Christian doctrine song, but anyway. Just it's offensive to all the fat little baby Okay. Forget we have a mixed audience today. So, um, alright. The, the uniform teaching, the uniform teaching of the Bible is that perseverance is absolutely necessary and absolutely certain. And if we focus on either of these exclusive, to the exclusion of the other, we get into error. And those are the two ditches you see. Uh, so let's look at this. Perseverance first is necessary. Perseverance is necessary. Only those who persevere in faith and holiness are truly saints. Only those who persevere in faith and holiness are truly saints. And that should cause us some pause. Right? You feel that? Only those who persevere in faith and holiness are truly saints. So um, let's look at uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 and 2. It says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you... You hold fast to the word I preached to you unless you believed in vain. That causes some pause. Right? Uh, and in Matthew 10.22, And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. What does that mean? What about those who don't endure to the end? 
There's, that should cause pause. John 8, 31-32. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Everybody wants to use that as a political football. What is he talking about? Abiding in Christ, abiding in his word, we, we, we follow his commandments because they are not burdensome, because we love him, right? That's what he's talking about. That's the truth. If we're not abiding, we display... We may display, Philip has this saying, and it bothers me that he says this, but he's right, and it still bothers me. Every sin we commit might be the one that proves that we were never in Christ to begin with. That's a heavy statement. And that should cause us pause. I don't cling to being dunked in the tank. I don't cling to my church membership. I don't cling to the fact that I read my Bible, or even as wonderful as Spurgeon's devotional every day. I don't cling to that. I can't cling to that. I have to let me display my faith by my works, is what James says. In time and space, how do I know I'm saved? Am I looking more and more like Jesus? If I'm not, that should cause me great pause. The Reformed understanding of perseverance is that one who is born again, regenerated by the Spirit, will certainly persevere through the pressure to conform to this world rather than to conform to Christ. They will continue to believe and repent. A Christian may slip and fall, develop bad habits, wrestle with doubts, but through it all, a true believer will keep on going just like he started. We begin with faith and repentance, right? We continue in faith and repentance. The gospel never says believe only once and you're good. Never says that. Even... even even in John 3.16, uh, whoever believes in him will have eternal life. Whosoever, remember that? Whoever believes in him, that really should be translated all the believing ones. All, the belie all those who are continuing to believe. Not a one-time only thing. The gospel never tells us once and you're one and done. Never, never does that. Calvinists reject easy believism or the heresy that a sinner need only believe once and then can remain a Christian without ever believing again. Christ does not call us to a single act of faith but a life of faith. And the same is true with repentance. Some non-Calvinists teach that a single act of repentance is enough. A single act of repentance that never you never see repentance that person again? That's not, that's not repentance. That's, that's Esau's remorse. I feel bad about it for a little while because of consequences, but I'm going to move on and do my own thing because I don't care. That's not repentance. How many mother's sons are out there living at bars, and mother's still saying, oh, but I know that one time he repented. That one. No. If we're not active in the faith and repentance, we're not active. We're still dead. That should cause us pause. I agree, and I think most Calvinists agree, I think all Calvinists agree, with Martin Luther in the first of his 95 Theses. He says, Our Lord and Master Jesus Christ, in saying, Repent ye, intended that the whole life of believers should be penitence. Not the Catholic sacrament penitence, but, or penance, I guess, 
But it's one of constantly, I'm repenting from not looking like Jesus. Again, correct me. Search my heart, God. That's part of the heart that he's given us. Um, but we fall into sin, don't we? It's true that all of us do it. You can hold out and say you don't, but I don't care. You do it. I do it. Perseverance is not a doctrine of perfectionism. That's a distinction with Wesleyan theology and what we're talking about. The truth of the matter is that no believer stays there, though. I may stay there a while. I mean, I have. Have you? Stay there a while, the apathy, the bad habit. The gifts of faith and repentance are continually supplied by God to the end. Here's what the 1689 Second London Baptist Confession says about that. They, Christians, may fall into grievous sins and continue in them for a time due to the temptation of Satan in the world, the strength of corruption remaining in them, and the neglect of the means of their preservation. Notice the means of their preservation. In doing so, they incur God's displeasure and grieve His Holy Spirit. I don't want to look Him in the face, right? Their graces and comforts become impaired. I don't even know if I'm saved because I've done this. That's the, that's the outflow of that. And their hearts are hardened and their consciences wounded. Sometimes you can get to a point where you sear your conscience. It uh, talks about where we're, we're so used to doing things that are sin that it doesn't even bother us anymore. They hurt and scandalize others. We never sin alone. And bring temporary judgments on themselves. Sometimes the point of church discipline is the ultimate expression of that. Nevertheless, they will renew their repentance and be preserved through faith in Christ Jesus to the end. That paints a picture of someone who really screws up. Doesn't it? And yet, the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints, what Scripture teaches us about that is that God will not let you go. And how do I know that? Because even in the midst of my sin, I still have this nagging thing going on. This is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. Right? I want to be with Him. Something's damaged there. I need to be back with Him. There's that constant tension of why am I not doing what I need to do? I wasn't, this isn't the heart I've been given. We may not think in those terms, but the new heart pushes you toward repentance. Kevin, you look at uh, King David. Yeah. Who committed adultery and murder and lived in that for a time. Yeah. But then it was the same man who later on wrote um, Psalm 51. Psalm 51, that's right. Broken and contrite heart you desire, O Lord. Right. And that's what, you know. And he, he basically, through that, gives us the model for what true repentance looks like. Yeah, exactly. Um, another point on this. It's not just where the heart is. It's, it's what we're doing, too. I mean, from out of the heart flows our actions. Right. So holiness is not an optional thing in Christian life. Uh, it's, not, it's not like if you're going to be super Christian, then you pursue holiness. The, the author of Hebrews, Apollos, says this, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. In the NASB it says, Pursue peace with all men 
and pursue, by implication, the sanctification which out, without which no one will see the Lord. Notice here it's not saying you, 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 if, if you don't have holiness, you won't get as many rewards in heaven. You'll get a shack rather than a mansion or something. I don't know what you're talking about. That's not what he's saying. He's saying if we're not pursuing holiness, we're not going to see Jesus. That's a big deal. There's two sides to this. Where's my heart? And what am I pursuing? Am I pursuing the world? Am I pursuing sin? Or am I pursuing Christ? If I'm not pursuing Christ, if I'm pursuing the world, and that's where my heart is, this is the danger of it. This is why this is a, a serious deal. Without holiness, we will not see the Lord. And again, it's not talking about... He's not talking about the legal judgment of I'm holy in Christ. I need to be, I need to be you know, justified. He's not talking about justification. He's talking about an outworking of that. An outworking of your sanctification. If you've believed and are not pursuing holiness, you never believed. That's what he's talking about. Um, he's not speaking of positional or legal righteousness, that the, the, the righteousness imputed by Christ, but of experiential, practical righteousness. We're to strive for it. That involves work. We're to pursue it. That involves work. And it goes on and perseveres. And not just for a little while after some mountaintop experience, but it continues even through the times that we're apathetic. We're drawn back to, I've got to pursue this. I've got to look like Jesus. I've got to know who He is. Through the times that are dry, we're still pursuing holiness, still pursuing to look like Jesus. Um, all right. So there's that. Perseverance is necessary. Now that we all feel good and beat down. Perseverance is certain. Perseverance is certain. All of those who are truly saints will surely persevere in faith and holiness to the end. Sometimes we call this preservation of the saints, this part of it. Uh, look at 1 Peter 1, 3-5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Who, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. 1 John 5, uh, 18. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he, talking about Christ, who was born of God, protects him. And the evil one does not touch him. To preserve means to guard and keep. Remember that? Genesis. We're to image God. And this is what Christ does for us. He guards us and keeps us in perseverance. The Bible is full of verses that tell us that God preserves His people and never forsakes them. John 6, 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. That's His work. That's His promise. That's his guarding, his keeping. Um, uh, all right. 
perseverance naturally flows out of the work of the Trinity on the behalf of God's people. And this is, this is a thing that, that thinking in terms of the triune God working to preserve us, to keep us, that really drove me in this. The purpose, work, and character of God the Father make the saints' perseverance certain. Let's look at three things here. The Father has marked out a people to be redeemed by Christ. Election. His work in unconditional election gives me assurance and grounding that He's able to complete that which He started. Right? The Father has foreknown, set His love on, His people from, e from eternity. The Father has predestined all His people to glory because his, his work is one of planning and, and, and uh, electing, I can trust that. That even though I may fall, I'm, it's not based on me. It's based on His intention, His work that I'm saved and will continue to repent and believe. I trust that. The Father's purpose is always accomplished. Look at, uh, at, at Daniel uh, 4, 35. It says, All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. No human being can stop Him, not even your sin. And He does according to His will among the hosts of heaven. No angel or devil can stop Him. And among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay His hand or say to Him, What have you done? God is... All His purposes are going to be finished. And He's purposed, as we've seen, to save a people. In justification, He gives a new legal standing that cannot be taken away. Romans 8.33, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. A God's unchangeable character makes the perseverance of His people certain. Malachi 3.6, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. His love for His people is unchanging. Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness. When Israel sought for rest, the Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. His promises are unchanging. Once his righteous demands have been fulfilled in Christ, rest in that. We can rest in that. We don't need to concern ourselves with further legal liability. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of His purpose, He guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. That's Hebrews 6, 17-18. And that's after He says, it's impossible for those who have tasted of the goodness of God and walk away to find repentance. He then says this, remember the promise of God. He doesn't change. His oath does not change. All right, so the Father's work is certain, uh, makes uh, the saints' perseverance certain. The work of Christ makes the saints' perseverance certain. Since God is righteous, He cannot charge us with those sins for which Christ has already suffered. I trust in the electing work of the Father, I trust in the finished, redemptive work of the Son. He's borne the sins that I committed yesterday, this morning, will commit this afternoon when I'm mowing the yard in the heat of the day, and the ones I'll commit tomorrow. He's already borne them. Does that give me license to do them? No, it doesn't. I need to pursue holiness. But 
I pursue holiness because of my relationship with him, not to have a relationship with him, not to, not to have a position of I'm his son. I, I remain his son. And Christ has borne those sins for me, and I trust for you. 1 John 1, 9 through, through 2, 1. Um, and I, I commend that to you. Uh, number two, not only did Christ's death for his people deliver us from the penalty of sin, our Savior, our champion, our hero, has really good theme music. He got it done. Also delivered us from the reigning power of sin and assured our perseverance. Now here's the thing. He delivered us from the reigning power of sin. It, the stuff that we feel... I can't kick the bad habits we've gotten into, the sin that so easily besets us, as the New Testament says. That, that stuff does not have power over the believer. For freedom you've been set free. Be who you are in Christ. He also delivered us from the reigning power of sin and assured our perseverance. So that I'm, I'm, I'm comforted, I'm assured by the work of the Father in election. I'm comforted and assured by the work of the Son and the atonement, definite as that is. And I'm comforted and assured of perseverance through the work of the Holy Spirit that makes the saints' perseverance certain. Number one, in regeneration, He gives us a new nature, ensuring our perseverance in faith and holiness. In sanctification, he causes us to form new habits. I would not be here this morning but for <laughs> the work of the Holy Spirit saying, if you love Jesus, you love His people. If you love Jesus, you love His bride. Be here. Otherwise, I'd be at home wondering, how can I get out of mowing the yard? I'll wonder that this afternoon. You come to the lake. <laughs> no, I can't do that. <laughs> it's still hot. <laughs> He seals us, guaranteeing our safe arrival at our final destination. He seals us. The Holy Spirit is the earnest, the down payment, the guarantee of our full inheritance. Number five, the Holy Spirit causes us to earnestly long for full conformity to Christ. Do we long for that? Do we long for that? I think one of the um, sentences in Philippians that Paul goes to, um, 2, 2, 12, and 13, is such a clear expression of how this is. He says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What does that mean? <laughs> fear and trembling? But I thought Jesus paid it all. Why should I fear? Why should I tremble? God who works in you. That's the next part. But notice that it's an imperative that we work. Right? We have to persevere. It's necessary. We can't coast downstream in the course of this world looking like everybody else. There's a fear and a trembling that comes in this. But it is not the fear of eternal judgment. Nothing stokes that fear of eternal judgment more than floating, <laughs> coasting, sinning, right? 
It messes with your assurance, sin does. The fear that Paul is talking about here is the fear you have when your boss is looking over your shoulder while you're working. I want to do it right. I want to get it right. It's not that I fear being fired, but I want my boss to be happy with what I'm doing. Right? I mean, when you write a story, you want it to be loved and lauded by all of Jacksonville, right? No, just profitable. Just profitable. Okay. <laughs> it's the fear of profit then. In salvation, it's the fear, and you've got to know the answer before you ask the question. That's really the cardinal rule. Um, in, in salvation, it's the, it's the fear of omnipresence. I, I think a lot of times, whenever we're sinning, it's because we really don't believe that God is omnipresent. There's a lack of faith in who he says he is. If he, if he were, if I could see the Father, if I could see Christ standing there, would I act the same way? Do I doubt that he's omnipresent? I think sin a lot of times, well, every time, really, is just an outworking of, I don't fear his presence, because I don't believe it's there, right? All right. It's the fear of omnipresence. That's the fear that Paul is talking about. If we believe that God is omnipresent, it would cause us great pause in being lazy and coasting in the course of this world. But the sentence in Philippians is not finished, and Grant brought this out already. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We work and will only work because God is working in us, and it's his good pleasure to do so. Uh, we forget that. It's his good pleasure to work in us. There is something about taking broken sinners and making them into the image of Christ that really makes Jesus happy. I personally like to run with the people who are already like awesome, but he fixes things. He fixes people. He loves doing that. And in your struggle, in your fight against the remaining sin in your heart, realize it's the Father's pleasure to take what is broken and make it new. He changes more than mere conformity to a set of rules. Notice it says to will and to work. Not just the working, but it's the willing. He changes the want to. I want to be holy because of what He's doing in my heart. So, two questions on assurance as we go. And I think we need to keep these in front of us. Do we want to look like Jesus? Do we want to? Do, do I want to be pleasing to God? Or am I just like, well, this is what my parents always did, so I've got to show up, or they're gonna call, I'm going to get a call from my mom. Did I go to church today? What? Do I want to look like Christ? Number two, are you actively pursuing Him? Is the will... Toward him is the action toward him. Is the will toward him is the action toward him. If not, flee to the cross and do it in the next 10 minutes. Flee to the cross. If it is, if I'm willing to look like him, if I want to look like him, and I am pursuing, I can see the fruit of that, right now today not just a month ago but today continue running continue the race 
and race in thankfulness that he's working in you. That's how we run. That's how we live. That's how we die in Christian life. That's perseverance. We will and we work. And we're thankful that we're doing so. Any questions on that? Sure. Who is on the Indian department? What does it mean by John seventeen ninety two? It's a misstate in misprint. Yeah, yeah it is. It's an old. It? I'll have to. I'll have to. Okay. I'll correct it whenever I send okay. it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I read that and thought yeah. that doesn't look right. Are you sure that no, I didn't. It was. I was mid coffee cup, and I think I stumbled. <laughs> Okay. Are you going to send out this with the answers filled in the blanks filled in? I can, if you, if, if you need them. Yeah, I can do that. <laughs> Aren't we glad that our salvation isn't resting on us filling in the blanks? <laughs> um, any, any other comments, questions for it to be thrown? No, no, that's good. I'll, I'll fix it. Fix it. All right, let's pray. Father, um, we do thank you for the gift of your grace. We thank you that your character is such that you have taken rebels and have great delight in transforming your enemies into your sons and daughters. Um, Lord, we want to look like Jesus, and we know that in our flesh there's no good thing, but we're thankful that the Holy Spirit that you've given us as a seal and guarantee of the finished work of Christ in our hearts moves us causes us, pushes us toward belief in Jesus, trusting in Jesus, and action that demonstrates that trust. So God, to the extent that we're not doing that, would you once again, by your Spirit, cause us to repent and to trust in the finished work of Christ rather than our own failing works, help us to trust Him more, to look at Him and prize Him longing for the day when we, will be, when we will be made like Him, for we will see Him as He is. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Kevin, can I say one thing real quick? Sure. The idea of Sabbath rest, you know, Christ is our Sabbath. And that's right. That's the Old Testament ideal. But the, the Sabbath throughout the entire Old Testament is culminated in Christ. Right. And the reason that we can have that Sabbath and have that rest is because of this right here. The reason that we can rest yeah. and rest securely is because Christ is our Sabbath rest. Right. The entire purpose of the seventh day resting mm -hmm. was fulfilled in Christ. And that's that's the connection yeah. of why this is this is true. And that brings uh, a huge amount of security and, sure. and pressure just wiped away from us. You're right. But we still have to get our ox out of the ditch, right? And one of the things that the, 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 the Pharisees said to Jesus is, you know, they're, they're working on this, they're working on that. How dare you heal on the Sabbath? And he said, well, who of you, if your ox fell into a ditch on the Sabbath, wouldn't get it out, right? We still, gotta, we still work, but we work in the Sabbath. We work in the rest that he's given us. There's still things that we have to fix. There's still things that we need to press forward on. We work because he... Because... Four. That's right. Because he's working. That's exactly right. Yes. Good. Good. Any, any, any others after the prayer questions? These are, we haven't had this before. I don't know how to do this. All right. We will now affirmatively say dismissed.